back the other way. Marner with a broken stick. Swings by the bench, picks up a new one. He's got it. Throws it back. Scores! Tavares, second of the night. What a play by Marner to grab the new stick and set it up. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Goons Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Bear, back from a summer hiatus with my good friend, Evan Pressman. And Evan, my pants are off. Uh, give me a minute here. I got to put them back on. They've been off ever since Marner signed that deal. Did I you by surprise deal. or something? What, what's going on here? Oh, there's been no surprise. It's been a few days of this, my friend. My pants have been off ever since Marner signed that deal, and I just need to hear your reaction. I'll, I'll put them back on. Here, my, go ahead. My pants have been off, too, because I've been <laughs> jagging off to the Jacksonville Jaguars for several days now, and Gardner Minshew. Uh, jagging off. Jagging yeah. off. Jagging <laughs> off to the Jags. Um, yeah, that's with a G. Just <laughs> everyone be clear on that. Um I'm not getting you. Come on, I'm not getting mad this early into the show. We're gonna talk about Marner later. Don't make me yell less than a minute in here. Yeah, we've got plenty to get to, and Mitch Marner, of course, will be one of the main topics on today's show. Uh, lots to get to, but I believe you have some trivia. I do. Let's see if you can cheat your way to another win this time as well. Um, so this week. Uh, the trivia question is, and it's actually pretty interesting. It's actually sort of blew my mind when I found out the answer, but, uh, here's a question. Um, Oh, I lost it here. Give me a sec. There we go. Okay. Can you name the player? Sorry, defenseman, um, with the, who averaged the highest time on ice per game over a season ever. In any season in NHL history. Yeah. Well, I don't know when they started tracking time on ice, but uh, yeah, I, w- since since they started tracking it, essentially. Wow. Um, any clue for era, team, nationality? Um, he he played a l- long career and he's Canadian. Okay. So this is average the highest time on ice per game. You're legally career. not allowed to get it again on the first try. And this is, sorry, for a career, average the most time No, no, ice. no, not for a career, for a season. Oh, for one, yeah, one season? Yeah, for one season. Oh, geez. Okay, well, Ryan Suter, I feel like, was the chalk play, but clearly he's American, so, um, I don't know, Chris Pronger? I, okay, can we stop recording? Like, I'm done doing this fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> literally, that was literally a blind guess. I Come don't. On. I do not believe you. I don't believe you, <laughs> man. I swear to God, how could I possibly you, Google this? Okay, listen, fast? listen to me. You have gone three for three on the first try in like three straight episodes. <laughs> oh my God, man! Come on, seriously, you gotta. This that that one seems a little easy. You're like, like if you're guess. You're like if you're r- guessing. Rain Man of hockey trivia, man. I I swear. I like. I guess that out of thin air. I swear. Do you do you want to guess the number as well? Uh okay. Um like 29 20 30 36. Oh my god. In 1998 1999. Isn't that insane? So is, 
Has anyone else ever averaged 30 minutes in a year? Though? I don't know. I mean, Ryan Suter was also near the top of my, like, when I was asked the question, I thought of Ryan Suter as well, and I don't think he ever came close to 30. So that was the, what year did you say that was? That 99, was 98, 99. So there was a, I mean, I'm sure Ray Bork had a, had a ton of years where he played a bunch. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, I don't know what the list is, but uh, yeah, over 30 minutes a game. Like that's, that's it's, crazy. That's un- and, and we're talking about regular season, like guys playing over 30 minutes a game in an overtime playoff game is a lot during the regular season. That's just, it's unbelievable. So um, looking, I just quickly looked at his D his hockey DB and he only played 67 games that year. Oh, did he? Maybe that has maybe, maybe, you know, the two are related here. He played less games cause he was like running to the ground and maybe he has a higher time because he played less games. Yeah, maybe. But you, uh, do you know what my either uh, way? You know my my clue that was gonna give it away was what? Mikhail Grabowski ended his career. I would not have got that. Really? No. I remember watching that game. He high sticked him right in the eye, and that ended it. He played like three more games, and that was it. He just concussed him too badly. Wow. Yeah. Well, good I don't thing remember you, that actually. Good thing yeah. you got it on the first try then. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I could have told you his hometown, Dryden, Ontario. Dryden, Ontario. But <laughs> I. But I would not have got the Grabowski thing. I, I literally just thought of Canadian long-time playing workhorses and Chris Pronger popped immediately to mind. Maybe maybe so. it's the clues that I'm giving you are too easy. Something's too maybe. easy. There's something going on here that I don't like. I don't know what to tell you, but that that was literally a out of thin air guess. Anyway, all right, all right. Enough all about right. me and my... <laughs> In your idiot savant <laughs> knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, my giant galaxy brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so moving on, we actually have a piece of good news related to the NHL, which is uh, mind blowing, considering the NHL seems to just like fall on its own face every chance it gets. But uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell everyone the good news that they've been aware of for a few days already? Yeah. So in case you guys didn't hear, um, you know, so there is. Uh, labor peace agreement reached with between the NHLPA and the NHL. So on Monday, the NHLPA announced that the their executive board decided not to reopen the current CBA, which ended after the, uh, in 2020 next year. Um, so that means the current agreement will not expire until the end of the 2021-22 season. So what does that exactly mean? So I'm not going to get too much into all the details of labor peace and negotiations, but Essentially, it means immediate labor peace for for one. Uh, you know, hockey's good. We like hockey, and there will be more hockey without a threat of a uh, a labor strike coming up. So now, essentially, the next three seasons without any worry of a strike, with the two sides working out towards an extension for the current CBA. So whatever CBA they have in place now, they have now by themselves some time to work on an ex- extension of that CBA, which will. Um, with that, like there are still some things that they don't really agree upon. They don't really like the players hate escrow, essentially attacks on their salaries. The players want to get, uh, you know, uh, the Olympic participation going again. But um, this agreement essentially buys them more time to figure out all of that stuff. So it's all good news, more hockey and a few more years without having to deal with the threat of a strike, which is always great. Can you imagine if the NHL had because if they had if they went on strike, it would have been their third strike in 15 years, basically. Yeah. Like for a game that is still trying to um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? There's they're still trying to fight basically for the spotlight, especially in the states. Like that that's devastating, right? So it's uh it's very important that they that this has happened. Um the the new TV deal that'll be coming in a few years is obviously going to have a ton of do ton to do with this. Um and also the the money that's going to be brought in by the new Seattle franchise is likely playing a role. But uh yeah, we have at least three more seasons of uninterrupted hockey, which is great. Um it would have sucked if if we had a lockout right in the middle of this of this Leafs golden era. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad we avoided that. So a little bit of good news to uh, to start off the show, which is always nice. Yeah, it does kind of feel too like the teams just sort of want to wait to see what happens with Seattle, and it seems like a weird time to you know it, it's it's just nice that both sides, well at least the NHLPA side, have agreed that you know let's just not get into it right now. Let's just continue with the CBA as is. We can live with it for now. There's some things we want to iron out, but. For now, we can deal with it and bring in the new team. We'll see what happens with with the the TV money coming in and all of that, and where the salary cap lands, and then they can reassess in the three years. So I like it. It's it's yeah, like you said, it's just great news. I mean, the NHL frankly can't afford to just like take time off, like yeah, with all with the everyone competing for TV money and uh, competing for ticket ticket dollars and everything like across the U.S. especially. I mean. Now would not have been a good time to go on a strike for sure, if there ever is a good time. But anyway, good to not have to talk about it now for a while. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, and it seemed like it was sort of inevitable too. Uh, I remember the yeah, way some people did. were talking about it. It was almost like, yeah, the NHL will be going on strike. So um, yeah, I was very happy to hear that news. So let's get to some stuff that uh, people actually care about. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we'll be doing our uh, division previews before the season gets started. So this is sort of our last... Um, our last wrap of the summer and we're just going to be going over some stuff that's happened here and a little bit of news and notes types stuff. So, uh, the Carolina hurricanes, man, I can't remember the last bad move they've made. Um, they got Jake Gardner. They signed him to a four year deal, uh, worth, uh, the, the salaries escaping me, but it was, was 4.05. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they're going to be a huge problem this year. Yeah, I mean, they have now approximately 17 defensemen who are going to start for them this year. I don't know how they're going to do it, but that's how many they have. Um, Gardner is a big part of that. I mean, it, it's a pretty quality deal. Like, I mean, he everyone thought he was going to sign for a lot more, and of course he didn't sign. He wasn't one of those guys who got a deal right out the gate July 1st. He had to wait a little bit for his money. Um, it comes early September and it's like a nice four year deal for him. Like, there was a lot of questions about his health and stuff. It kind of felt to me like, you know, this might've gone like the one year, two year deal route where teams were kind of scared and just kind of say like, we'll give you a one year deal and see if you can like play your way into a bigger contract. Cause we don't really know about your back and that kind of stuff, but Hey, good for Gardner. I guess it may be a little bit less money than he was hoping for originally, but um that opens another conversation right about older defensemen and and what kind of contracts they're gonna have to settle for now with these young guys taking up such a high percentage of the caps yeah yeah and uh we're gonna get to one of those in a second um yeah do you want to you know what my favorite part of this deal is for jake gardner or for me is that he turned down montreal he took this he took the john (laughs) Tavares route and turned him down uh, okay, so wait, so wait, hold on. I'm supposed to be upset that a UFA couldn't get a contract till September wouldn't meet with my team. <laughs> don't Come pretend. On. Do not pretend like you didn't want him on the team. Don't, Come on. Don't give me that. 
Come no, on. you're right. I mean, uh, this is a separate conversation we can get into a different time, but the Habs have had an issue with uh, attracting free agents. I mean, I'm not shocked that Jake Gardner, like the guy who was widely reported, wanted to stay in Toronto and had played like the vast majority of his career in the Toronto organization, didn't want to play for the Habs. Like, it wouldn't be the first time that one player on one of these two teams didn't want to play for the other team. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what uh, – I mean, you're, you know, you're right. It would have been good. <laughs> like, their left side is – there's a spot there that he would have filled nicely, I think, with the Habs. And a poor, apparently, Bergevin offered more money. So, I don't know. Less years, I guess. Yeah, so one like less Maybe year. the term is, is was important to him. I don't know. But I can't really fault him for wanting to play for Carolina either, to be honest. And for a guy that was, like, honestly a whipping boy in Toronto for a long time, like, it's not like the Montreal – media would be doing him any favors coming in there like from right. their rival team like it wouldn't have been, i mean i'm sure his agent would have told him that and i'm sure he didn't even need to be told that he would have known but i don't know it makes a lot of sense to go down to carolina play on a like you know what a lot of people assume will be a, a, a contending team this season and not have to be the guy it's funny um you mentioning that this isn't the first time someone's wanted to not wanted to play for the Leafs and vice versa. I just had flashbacks of the Josh George's situation. Where, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where they were going to, I think it was, was it Cody Franz and they were going to trade him? It for was. Him? And then they ended yeah. up getting a first round pick for him and Brendan Leipzig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Leafs were that close to getting Josh George. Yeah. Josh went George's. on to play <laughs> like just, just, I mean, I love the guy. Like he was a heart and soul player. One of those like fan favorite type players, but he was never a particularly good player. And when he went to Buffalo after leaving the Habs, he was, that was just that was basically it for his that, career. That I think it. he played like three or four more years on like basically not being able to skate. I don't yeah. like he played a couple more years probably than he needed to. But yeah, the Leafs dodged that bullet. So Carolina's defense right now, according to Daily Faceoff, their top six: Jacob Slavin and Dougie Hamilton on the top pair, Jake Gardner and Brett Pesci on the second pair. And then you have Justin Falk and Hayden Fleury, who don't forget Hayden Fleury was taking a pick before William Nylander. Like he, he's, I know we like to joke about pedigree and stuff, but like this is a guy with some serious skill, right? Like untapped skill at this point. He's still young, but yeah, like they have, they just have so many guys. And we're not even taking into account Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Um, they've got that Roland McEwen guy. Uh, they've they've just got a top like they're they it's they're what Nashville was like the way we used to talk about Nashville when they got PK Subban is now how we're talking about Carolina a little bit my pants are off again Evan I, what can I say I mean it's <laughs> they're 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 well off now the, the this is a good team I mean yeah their their defense core is insane they're all on really good deals like the Slavin deal is insanely it's good five point probably the best probably like, the best contract in the league yeah yeah, like six more seasons out of five. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Gardner ends up being the fourth highest paid guy. He essentially makes the same as Brett Pesci, so, like, fourth and fifth highest paid guys. Uh, the depth is just crazy with – it's weird that, like, they didn't hit on essentially – well, they haven't really hit so far essentially on three first-round pick defensemen in Flurry. Um uh, Roland McEwen and Jake Bean. Jake Bean, and that's yet, right, yeah. And yet they're, the defense is still in, like ridiculously stacked. Like They're the, they're the deepest D core in the league. It's crazy. Well, because I mean, they, I, they hit on guys like Jacob Slavin, who I, I believe was taken later, and I think Brett Pesci right. was as well, yeah. 
Right, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk. I guess they got him like in a in a trade like, yeah. when he was sort of undervalued at the time. Um, yeah, they've just been able to find these gems while somehow missing on these first round picks. It's pretty wild. But yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, they're in a position right now where they're trying to trade Justin Falk, who is like the best third pairing defenseman in the league. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's remarkable what they've done, and um, I just want to give a shout out to Eric Tulski, who is, I mean very likely pulling the strings back there in uh yeah in carolina uh every every move they make screams him so uh and and it doesn't really go unnoticed so good for him and good for them and i think they're they're they scare the shit out of me and i i think they're gonna um have a bunch of success again this year so sorry no go ahead no go ahead so you mentioned uh paying older players a few minutes ago Next thing I want to talk about, Jared Spurgeon um, is probably one of the most underrated players, certainly one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. He never really gets talked about, but he's really, really, really good. Um, and I guess I guess the Wild don't really under um, underrate him because they signed him to a seven-year, seven, just over seven and a half million bucks. Um do you believe that the 7.575 cap hit is actually the largest cap hit ever given out to a member of the Minnesota Wild? It actually blows my mind. I like when you said that, I couldn't believe it. I know they haven't been like franchise around for like super long, and I guess they haven't really had any um, super marquee free agents other than the year they signed Suter and Parise. Marion Gabrick. Marion Gabrick. Marion Gabrick. Okay. Okay. But uh, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, they've never paid a player more than, what you say, 7.75? Yeah, 7. I, I don't know if Parise and Suter are second and third, but they make ju- like just slightly less. But they also yeah. signed like 500-year contracts each, right? So, And it signed a long time ago. Like at the time, it was like, wow, this is insane money for these guys. Like it was – but now like the 7.57 for Spurgeon barely registered. I mean – we have other guys signing for more, but like there aren't that many defensemen in the league that make more than him, really. Like, there's a few, but I mean, wow, like it's a, it's a big deal that felt really underreported, I thought. But um, by the sounds of it, worth every penny. I mean, he's going to be there for a long, long time. He's a little bit older, I guess. Like he's 29. Um, he'll be 30 this year, like before the end of this, like in, in November. In November, yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of the it's, it seems like a really good big contract. I mean, I don't know. Do you think it'll be one that ages particularly well or it's always like how many of these contracts that run into the mid to late 30s end up well? Like probably yeah. under 20%. But I think I I would much rather give this contract to a guy whose primary skill is like skating and just being right. really smart than a guy like I'm just picking a name out of my out of the hat like David Backus or like Wayne Simmons who plays that sort of right. game do you know what I mean a physical game yeah, yeah. If, you, if a guy a guy whose body is more likely to break down sure you don't want to give a guy like that that kind of deal right like guys who are using their like playing a more physical game obviously their bodies are pretend to break down quicker you'd think but yeah I guess Spurgeon's game is more built on finesse and passing and skating and being a really smart player and I should point out that he just came off his only full season of his career 82 games and a career high in points and goals 
So on a team that couldn't I've, score at all. Yeah, yeah. So like, who's to say, right? I mean, this was a guy who I think part of the reason why he doesn't get a lot of play around the league, well, other than the fact that he plays on Minnesota, is that he just sort of like came in a little bit later, right? Like sometimes defensemen take a little bit longer to develop. He was a sixth round pick. He's not like he's played internationally or anything like that, like World Juniors. Like you would have had to have been following this guy as a fan of the wild or just like a really, you know, in-depth hockey fan to know who he even was like eight or nine years ago, right? But now he's quietly built the last six full seasons into like, you know, a really quality career and uh, now a really good contract. Yeah. And it's it's also Bill Guerin's first um, big, I mean, ma- like his first True. actual move as uh, as GM as well. I guess we yeah. didn't really touch on the Paul Fenton stuff, hey? I don't. I think I think we no. sort of yeah. Uh, that situation was absolutely bizarre. <laughs> I, I'm oh, assuming. Man. Did you read the piece in the Athletic by Michael Russo? I did. I did. I read the Russo piece. Yeah, like, and, and if you haven't, anyone out there listening, you definitely should because it really goes into detail that you don't see. That sort of inside access to a team's front office that you rarely get a look at and some of the stuff this guy was doing was it was almost just like death by a thousand paper cuts eh? like he wasn't doing anything super super offside or bad but there were so many little weird bad decisions that it just like like, this is what a bad gm is essentially it was a portrait of a terrible gm this is what a guy who's a bad gm does they don't necessarily make crazy big wild moves but consistently making bad decisions over and over and over how small they may be it will get you fired yep the thing i tell me either either i miss i didn't see anyone talking about this which is why i feel like i must be must have read it wrong or must be misquoting it so tell me if i'm wrong but the the thing that stood out to me the most in that story was the part about how uh david poyle endorsed fenton because they wanted to get rid of him am i making that up or was that in the story I believe that was inferred. Yeah, that um, that to me was ins- that, it's, that it's was insane. a very interesting. Yeah, like the the predators sent the wild a Trojan horse. Yeah, they sent the they sent an executive to the wild, like knowing that he would fuck up, so that it helped their team. Like <laughs> that is some next level voodoo Bill Belichick shit right there. That is like that that is awesome. that is galaxy brain high level thinking if that's the case i mean good i i i hope it's true i really hope it's true i just i didn't see anyone talking about it and i thought i thought of all the things in that story which is one of the most incredible things i've read on the athletic which is saying something um yeah i thought that was the thing that stood out the most to me and no one i i felt like no one even blinked an eye i thought it was crazy that they just like yeah, it, yeah it was a trojan horse exactly that's the perfect way to put it yeah, I'm not sure anyone else I saw who commented on this story even mentioned it. So, yeah, I mean, people were just talking about... I, in fact, I saw people sort of questioning, like, why he was even fired because there wasn't anything in there that was, like, really, really damning. Except, I don't know, that wasn't really the point to me. It was just that this is just, like, it's just constant incompetence. And, and the fact that he made ter- people miserable. Yeah, exactly. And just a terrible fit with the organization and, yeah... Exactly. So, a poisonous work environment coupled with you just being bad at your job, like it's it's a no. It was a no brainer firing to me. Yeah, and you you also have to really respect the Wild for pulling the trigger so quickly because I feel like a lot of franchises would have just sort of sat around and maybe. I mean, what's the what's the term I'm looking for? Is it law or sunk cost? A sunk cost. Yeah, sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like a lot of teams would have just sort of, you know, hmm and hawed about it and and let it drag on longer. So it, good for them for, for, you know what, it's embarrassing, sure, um, but they did the right thing, clearly. And, like, by all accounts, Bill Guerin is a, a good candidate to, to lead their team, so good for them. Yeah. And and he's clearly values Jared Spurgeon, who I think is a great player, so maybe they're finally on the right track because they are just – they are just the most irrelevant franchise to me in the NHL. Yeah, they have been for some time now. Yeah. That's a good point about about uh, the sunk cost as well. I mean, that is something that is rampant across professional sports. And when teams, whether it's with a player, a coach, a GM, a GM what have you, where teams get locked into um, thinking that they they have to just justify their decision by sticking with somebody despite it being bad for their organization. We, we rarely see like teams should be applauded for moving on from bad contracts and like recognizing a mistake as soon as they possibly can and rectifying it. And yeah, that's exactly what uh, the wild owner did in this case. So yeah, good for them. All right. So moving from a guy in his thirties, getting a long-term deal, <sighs> the RFAs, um, which is sort of the talk of the town, basically has been all summer. I would say. I think um, uh, yeah. even with even with Marner signed, the list right now of uh, as we record this on September seventeenth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, as we record this, the list of unsigned RFAs is just staggering. I don't think anyone really thought it would get to this point. But let's just talk about some of the ones that have signed uh, fairly recently, and then we'll expand on this because i think it's a really interesting uh topic uh so a few days ago actually this has all happened within the last week so uh travis konechny signs for six and five and a half uh, the brock besser one was interesting and we've talked about the canucks and how they've sort of pigeonholed themselves here they couldn't i, I think like besser at three times 5.875 is not bad at all but I think they probably would have rather have gone long-term on him, no? Because now he's probably going to be up for a pretty big payday after these three years. I would think so. And there, well, there wasn't a ton of chatter about this one, actually, throughout the last few weeks and months, really. I mean, there was in the fact that, you know, what we had commented on previously, that the Canucks just seemed to be in this insane cap crunch, that how are they even going to pull this off with a contract at all? But, uh, yeah, I think you're completely right. Like, uh, I, if I were them, it would have made way more sense to try and get this done on like a six-year deal, like like what Konechny got, right? Like that—that's a way more team-friendly deal. Because I don't know what Bester's making in his final year. I can quickly see, but whatever that qualifying offer is, it's seven and a half. So I mean, yeah, he potentially is due for an even uh, an increase on that, right? So if he goes out and and post like a few 30 goal seasons in the next three years like i don't know they they better have some money coming off the books at some point because they've got a few other guys they got to give some big contracts to i think as well yeah maybe signing uh antoine roussel and jay beagle shocker wasn't a good idea who knew yeah shocker yeah and trading quick, for jt quick, miller quickly on connect though i thought it was interesting i saw a stat where over the last two seasons he has as many or more even strength goals than Sidney crosby Panarin, Pasternak, Eichel, Pavelski, Malkin, Shifley, Barkov, Line, Kessel, Stamkos, and more and more. So, like, I didn't really realize, like, his numbers aren't, like, you know, off the charts outstanding. He just seems like a really solid, really good player. But 
he apparently has been pretty damn good at even strength and uh so that made that deal look even better to me that's uh that's actually shocking um yeah i did not know that at all uh i mean he's he's a like just looking at the you know standard stats like 22 years old he's got two basically 50 point seasons under his belt like he's a really good player i didn't realize he scored um like scoring strength scoring goals at even strength is basically the most valuable thing you could possibly do um, exactly yeah so wow that's actually that's really interesting yeah, um, so he's, he's got back-to-back 24 goal seasons yeah. right like both years under 50 points but yeah i was i was pretty shocking like those are some of the best players in the league obviously that i named and there's uh, way more guys than that as well so yeah it seems like philly did pretty well on that one i think they also did really well on the Provorov one too five yeah. times 6.75 i love ivan Provorov. Um, we talk about Chris Pronger playing a ton of minutes. Pro Rob's going to be the next guy where we sort of talk about him in the same way that we talk about Ryan Suter, where he just eats minutes. Like the guy's an absolute horse, uh, or workhorse, I guess. Um, um, but yeah, so there were three defensemen who signed. So him, um, who got the longest, uh, term out of all three of the defensemen at five years. So Zach Wierenski gets signed at three times five, which was actually kind of shocking to me. I thought he would, I, that's like, that, that seems way too reasonable of a contract for him to sign. I feel like he sort of had the hype, no? Yeah, I I think you're right. There was seemed to be, there did seem to be some more hype around that. I mean, I don't know if it was just this past season where I don't want to say people soured on him, but. No, they did. That's fair. That they did. Okay, because I mean, last year it was almost like this guy's a second coming. Like this guy is the next superstar defenseman, right? Like he was coming off of back-to-back, like really solid years to start his career, and then he didn't like necessarily take that next like jump into the upper echelon of defenseman, maybe. But I mean, I think he's still playing like like pretty big power play minutes, and like uh, the the three-year deal to me, like I don't know, I thought. I've, I thought it was interesting. I, I I also was shocked by like sort of the low seeming numbers, right? Like five mil even for three years. Like it's essentially just a bridge, but I don't know. It, it did, did seem kind of low. And then the McAvoy one is essentially the same deal, right? Like three years, 4.9. Which is also shocking. So, yeah. And I think I thought I saw Pierre Lebrun comment on this where I guess the thought is that Provorov doesn't necessarily put up the kind of numbers that they expect Borensky and McAvoy to put up offensively. And like, he's not getting the same kind of power play opportunity that Borensky and McAvoy are getting. So in that way, somehow it justifies paying like, like Philly was able to get him on a longer term deal, essentially. Like, I don't know. It kind of doesn't make sense to me because there, there's some sort of disconnect there. Like Warinsky and McAvoy were essentially comparable to each other, which is why I think McAvoy got done like right after Warinsky got done. So like they basically signed like the same the same deal. And I think Warinsky is getting seven in his final year, so that's like what they're gonna work with to sign his next contract. But I don't know. He seemed like a guy who I could see getting like eight or nine or more million per year, but somehow that doesn't seem like it's gonna go that route. I don't really know. Yeah, I've I've I also found it pretty weird, uh, sp- specifically with McAvoy. Actually, um, he seems like the kind of guy that, and and I'm saying this understanding that he was that special type of RFA, 
where he right. couldn't even have been offer sheeted. So so yeah. he had even less leverage than RFAs usually do. Um, but I, I thought he, I mean, he's really, really good. Like Norris, mm. he'll be in conversation for the Norris for the next few years. Good. Um, but you know what? They got him locked up to a reasonable number. They also just signed, we were talking before, uh, Brandon Carlo, who mm-hmm. had a really good series against the Leafs. And I think he's sort of been uh, um, put on a pedestal a little bit, but he's also a good player. They signed him to a two-year reasonable deal. So Boston, uh, and you know what? The more I think about it, like Bergeron's really good. Marchand's really good. They're both getting super old. Their window, Krejci's also getting really old, right? How much longer is their window? Is it two, three years? So maybe. maybe maybe they're smart to do these. Like usually I don't like bridges, but maybe in this case it sort of makes sense where they're just sort of saving as much money as they can for this three-year window to just go for it. And then when it's done, then you hand the keys over to McAvoy and Pasternak and all that. So... Yeah, um, that makes sense. And that's it, sort of what I was commenting before, right? Like they they feel like they're going to have some money available at some point. Yeah. Like we know that they will, right? Yeah. Like even David Backus, like that's $6 million coming off after next season. So like, such a horrible I mean, contract. which is insane. Yeah, crazy. But like, you know, uh, at some point Zdeno Chara won't be around anymore. And yeah, like these younger guys will, they'll take the reins of the team, I guess. And they'll have to pay you know, like DeBrusque and Heinen and all these guys will get new contracts at some point. Do you think that, um, I, I feel like, I feel like, um, we've seen a lot of guys specifically this year sign right around the beginning of training camp. And I think a lot of them, of course, they're going to say, I don't want to miss training camp, whatever. Um, but I really believe them. And I, I want to get your opinion on if you think, uh, the Nylander situation from last year is sort of having a ripple effect in that kind of way where players look at what happened with him. Yeah, he held out and he got the money he wanted, which I think we're we're going to get into the Leafs here. Um, I think it was a fine deal, but he held out, got the money he wanted and then came back. And it's you just you can't do that. I think I think if there's a very rare type of player that can sit out the time that that he sat out and then come back and play well. Um, so do you think that what happened to him is sort of influencing the decisions of today's RFAs? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, th- I thought I heard that raised at some point recently where the thought with Nylander had always been, um, at least the narrative around like the Marner contract, et cetera, et cetera, was like, well, if Nylander sat out and got his money, then why shouldn't anyone else? And that's a valid point, right? Like Dubis eventually did give Nylander probably essentially what he was asking for and whether or not it was a fair deal like doesn't really matter but the fact is that Nylander got a good deal for himself by sitting out but it's interesting yeah that players might look at that and say hey but then he came back and was bad and it was basically a waste of an entire season like I don't necessarily want that to happen to me either so yeah I mean I guess it's possible I mean I feel like to get to this point these guys are all super confident in themselves for the most part and that they like really believe in their ability and that they can play if like, you know, play well, like these guys are all high level athletes. And I I don't know, I'd be, I'd be interested to know on a case by case basis. I'm sure maybe it did creep into the minds of some of these guys, right? Like it's an extra bit of motivation and not necessarily that 
Melander was the the reason, but just that logically you don't necessarily want to miss games if you don't have to, right? Like you want to be on the ice, you want to be with your teammates, you want to be good to go and play a full year. And playing hockey is what they do for a living, and playing well is what keeps them employed for a long term, right? Like these guys are all like in their early twenties, like they're planning on playing like ten plus more years, not just through this next contract. So yeah. like it makes sense that they'd want to just play as much as possible, right? But yeah, no, I maybe that creeped into a couple of these guys' mind. Like maybe I should just get this done and get in here. I don't know how it couldn't, to be honest. I mean, it was one yeah. of the at least at least here, um, it was one of the dominant storylines basically and up until he signed. And then even after he signed. And I think I think honestly, I think players are scared shitless that, that that could be them. Like Braden Point right now is probably thinking, man, this team could win a cup. If I could sit out and, and get my money, I mean, their, their situation's a bit different, but take him, for example, like he could sit out, get his money, and if he comes back and he's not the player they need him to be, he's going to be hated there because they, they're they in a position to win a cup. They need him. He's a pivotal part of the team. And if he sits out a month or two months and comes back and isn't up to speed, I think I really think that it, it was sort of a warning shot last year what happened, and I, I would be surprised if if almost every RFA still left hasn't really considered that and have basically right. thought of caving just because they don't want that to be them, right? And I think there's internal pressure from their own teams too, right? Like having listened to like tons of interviews of players over the years and stuff, like one thing that obviously really matters to them is like what their teammates think and what the culture in their locker room is like. And, you know, if you play on a team where you've got some older leadership where guys are sort of looking at you like, get your shit together so we can actually do this. Like we want to win this year. And if you're not in here helping us, like that's on you. Right. Like I, I would be, I've heard stories like that about guys like Joe Thornton, where like, you know, he leads by example and takes less money to help the team. And so they kind of all are expected to fall in line with that. Right. Where it's like, Hey, we're trying to do something here. So like, don't be too selfish, like sure. Get your money, but we're ultimately here trying to win. So like you want, if you want to be a part of this, like that's the kind of deal you're going to have to take. Right. And yeah, like it could, it's all kinds of pressure for these guys to get in, get into camp and get their deals done. I agree. But at the same time, I also think, and we're seeing this a lot with other sports specifically, I think other players also respect the hell out of players who just want to make their money or not, right. not just want to like, not who want to make their money and don't care about the team or want to win but yeah, yeah. You, you know what i mean like who who, who don't want to get pushed around by the team who yeah. like look out for it like because ultimately if a guy gets paid more that potentially helps you or one of your teammates as well down the road right, right? yeah exactly exactly yeah. and like the pa is obviously pushing for them as well like there's a yeah. as, as as many things as there are as many things that are pushing against them to sign and to pressure them to sign there's just as many sort of telling them keep going we're with you you know um go get your money so fair it's, enough it, it's fascinating though what's happening like um we might as well we might as well get into the marner stuff now but the marner the marner stuff is is um part of this bigger much bigger picture right now which is rfas used to get pushed around um they used to basically take what they were given and that was it and the the Marner contract was a was a pretty big fuck you honestly to the NHL, um, and I think we're going to see a lot more. Like I I think the days of just 
of teams being like, you're not afraid, you have no leverage, you're not going to get an offer sheet, here's a contract, sign it. I think that's over, honestly. You know, it's interesting because, yeah, we just talked about several players that got pretty team-friendly deals. Yeah. Who essentially signed these bridge deals like the way that the RFA process was intended, right? They They didn't get crazy numbers and like i don't know maybe it's just mitch marner and mitch marner's dad and darren dreger who were pushing this whole fucking thing but well, like well, yeah I, but, it, but he does does he not like i'm not just saying this as like a leaf hater but like was he not the only guy that like didn't really take a team-friendly deal so far and to be fair there are other guys out there like i don't know how long matthew kachuk and miko ranton and Braden point are going to be holding out and they may end up getting monster deals and they may end up sitting out lots of games i mean i don't really know but so far the guys that signed like they all seem to be like pretty reasonable and marner was almost like he was just negotiating like against himself and against austin matthews like because the other players who were rfas this year like they didn't really seem to fall into his stratosphere so do you just do you want to get into the marner stuff now because i think i think we're already knee deep my friend oh, okay um <laughs> i you know how I feel about the contract. Anyone who follows me on yeah. Twitter knows how yeah. I feel. I think it's I think it's garbage what the Leafs did, honestly. And um, I I love Kyle Dubis is my dad. I love Kyle Dubis, um, but he they caved, they caved so hard, and yeah. it's honestly it's bullshit. And yeah, you're right. Other guys have taken like the the McAvoy pro all those guys we talked about super um super uh fair uh, deals fair deal yeah they're fine there's nothing wrong with them um do i think matthew kachuk's gonna get paid and is probably gonna hold out till he does yes same thing with point same thing with rantanen uh it's it's probably gonna happen however this marner situation was so ridiculous like this the whole thing was so um just it was just insane like the fact that they the Marner camp negotiated through the media from the beginning. Um, yep. They used they ba- as you mentioned they basically used uh, Paul Paul Dreger, sorry Darren Dreger as uh, <laughs> as their mouthpiece. Um, this this whole thing was great, and the and the fact that he was comparing himself to Matthews uh, as a playmaking winger, comparing himself to the best even strength goal scorer in the league. Um, it just I. It makes none of it makes any sense to me, and the fact that they caved and he's still making ten point nine, and apparently he's unhappy with it, or like he's not comfortable with the fact that they settled for that. It just really none. Yeah, Who said man. that part. Yeah, apparently he said he wasn't comfortable with it. Apparently, there's a bunch of reports that it's not what he wanted, but he just didn't want to miss camp. Oh my god! Like it makes no sense, and the Leafs caved. Jesus, um, I, <laughs> you yeah, give, me, like, give me your opinion because I have so much to say about this. I mean, I I don't know what to say. I just want to let you go, but I mean, no, I think it's a bad deal too. Like, I just I don't. It, the whole thing was just such a circus, and you know, part of that is just like it's Toronto, it's the Leafs. Like, I I get it. Like, there's always this like extra layer of bullshit that has to circle around all of these negotiations and stuff. I mean as soon as this didn't get done like on july 1st essentially it was just like oh this is gonna take forever and it's all we talked about like in the city forever like 
all the radio channels everyone everyone's just sick of it everyone everyone hated talking about it like it was just i don't know it seemed like it was never come gonna come to an end in a way i'm like kind of shocked honestly that it actually happened before training camp and like i don't know who to like who needs credit for that i like may i guess dubis just caved and that's it but like but it doesn't make sense that if dubis caved and then marner is also still unhappy like i don't i don't know like they're <laughs> There's so many weird angles to this story, but ultimately the Leafs, they got their guy in camp and like, there's something to be said for that, I guess, based on the Nylander situation. Like, but man, that's such a low bar because in a perfect world, none of those things happen. Like, and one of those things being Marner signed this deal. Like it's, it's not a team friendly deal. It's, it's, it's an overpay. Like it's it's just, that's just what it is. Yeah. Like I think that Mitch Marner is, really really good like and i you know we, most people agree on this like he is a great player he is like one of the top players in the nhl there's no doubt but that doesn't mean it's not an overpay like it just is like based on players that are comparable to him and precedent and like the kind of numbers he would put up on his own on a different line like there's so many different objective ways we can measure this it's just i don't know it's not a good contract that's it I want to, and I just, I also want to preface everything I say about Marner with the same thing that you just said. I love, like, he's so much fun to watch, ton of fun to watch. He won my, one of my, obviously one of my favorite players on the Leafs. I love the guy. Seems like a super nice guy, really fun personality. I have nothing against him as a player. I just need to get that out of the way because I'm going to be ripping on him a bit. But I just wanted, I want to do a little like um, uh, a PR for, for Dubas here because do I think he caved and do I think the Leafs completely folded here? Yes, 100%. But at the same time, I can imagine being Kyle Dubas and I look at this roster where everyone's here. We made the trade for Barry. We, like, we've got rid of some bad deals. Um, Matthews is a year older. Nylander's coming into a full camp. We've basically the only thing not set in stone is Marner. Um, this might be the best chance or the best roster they have for the next foreseeable future, uh, specifically because they might not even be able to keep either Barry or Muzzin, let alone one of them. They're not keeping yep. both of them. Um, and they're just, they're obviously going to have cap problems down the road, regardless of if Marner signed for 9 million or 11. So I think, I think Dubas probably looked at this, said this year specifically, we have a really, really, really good shot to win. What's it worth to, and especially seeing what happened with Nylander last year, what's it worth to sort of jeopardize that to save a million bucks, 500,000 bucks? And as much as I want them to drive a hard bargain, and I, I, I really want Dubas to win a negotiation here, because if we're being honest, he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't really won any negotiation so far. And as much as I really want that, I can see from his perspective why he's like, we just need to get this done. And if we win a cup, no one's complaining about him making nearly 11 million bucks. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to defend Kyle Dubas, but like, did he not get pretty good deals with Janssen and Kapanen as well? Yes. So I really like the Kerfoot deal they signed this summer. Um, yeah, that too. I, I liked, I liked the, the, the Kapanen and Janssen deals, yeah, but he like Nylander with the big boys. Yeah, yeah, I have I have no problem with the Nylander contract 
6.9 for Nylander is completely fine. I have zero problem with it. Um, it's just the fact that it took until December for him to well, get yeah, a number that he should have got from the beginning. I think um, that that should be the narrative around Nylander all the time is that it wasn't that it was a bad contract. It's that how he that's how the contract yes. got signed. Yeah, it's how he went about his business. It's it's set as such a bad precedent and standard for the rest of the team. Yeah, right. And then he just like burned a year on Nylander's career as well in the process. Like, yeah, yeah. it was just a bad situation, not necessarily a bad number in the no. end. And the the Matthews contract. <sighs> I personally don't really have a problem with it, but it sort of just seems like he said, what do you want? We're going to give it to you. You want five years and 11.6? Sure. And I understand you can't really say no to those guys, um, but still, like that isn't exactly a win either. And no. this sure as hell is not a win. So he does he does have a reputation at least at this point as his major flaw is he's had a tough time negotiating big contracts yeah he's done a real a ton of good work around the edges um but and there's a Tavares deal as well yeah but it's also which is a, U a UFA deal that like you know he got market price whatever he apparently took less like I get it but like he also signed that deal like I don't know that like it doesn't I don't think anyone should suggest that he shouldn't have signed that deal. It would have made life easier now, obviously, but like then the team wouldn't be as good. So if you if you have a chance to sign John Tavares, you, there's you take it ten times out of ten. There's no yeah. way you pass on that, especially if he really wants to play for your team. I mean, he he left apparently left two million bucks <laughs> per year on the table with with uh, San Jose. Yeah, and as much as every as he has complimented Dubis on the uh, presentation he put together, like. I would I would say that the eleven million bucks is a win for the Leafs considering what he left on the table, but I don't think that was. I I think he just really wanted to play for the Leafs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't I don't think he was really persuaded to to leave that money elsewhere. No. Um, but yeah, uh, this situation is just so frustrating, and uh, it's it just yeah, and 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 like the whole thing with his dad. And do you remember the athletic article that came out earlier in the year about his dad complaining that Mitch wasn't in the conversation to be the captain? Yeah. Like, it's just so That was bizarre. such a weird wrinkle. There was such a weird thing recently where, uh, what was it? They Someone reported that they didn't want to announce the captaincy because it would affect the negotiation with yeah. Marner. Like, what? Yeah. Are it's you, I couldn't believe that. I'm like, how sensitive are these guys? Like, that's like I that stuff is so like annoying to me just to read like I can't believe that honestly Mitch Marner has like that thin of skin where like them naming Austin Matthews the captain for example would have an effect on like the negotiation that's just so ridiculous well and it makes sense though considering he it was reported that like he was basically comparing himself to Matthews the entire time right yeah. So it would it would make sense that he would be kind of pissed off if he was named the captain. But I mean, like, come on, man, grow up. I know. I know. That's the thing. <sighs> Tavares should be the captain anyway. <laughs> Morgan Riley should be the captain, honestly. Um, but at least it's over. I mean, and and if there's one thing, the only thing actually that I like about this deal is that it's six years because, um, <laughs> going through this again in three years would be just a absolute disaster uh i can't i 
I'm I'm done with going through this stuff. If he wants to walk, fine. I'm whatever. I can't I can't spend every waking second of my life refreshing Twitter and getting mad online about stupid RFA bullshit. Yeah, well, we're just delaying the inevitable here, man, that Mitch Marner becomes the highest paid winger in NHL history in six years instead of three. That's all. It's going to happen. When the cap is $120 million. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and he's making $19 million a year. And Paul Byron is signed. They freshly re-sign him to be their top winger for five years and $4.5 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Jonathan Duran will be long gone at that point, so yeah yeah retired um if uh i mean if if marner scores 100 points this year i even i even think if he scores 100 points it's still an overpay i don't think there's any precedent for what he took um but at the end of the day he's in camp he's a really good player the cap hopefully will go up is it the end of the world no does it suck yeah but again if they win everything is fine every no one remembers this if they win yeah and this honestly kind of seems like uh like you said the year to do it if it's going to happen at all right or i mean at least until some of their younger guys develop as well like they're going to need sandin to come in and and be really good which it looks like he will for cheap on an on an elc uh lilligren same thing and and they got a hit on some of their other prospects so i mean until those guys come up this looks like it's going to be the best uh the best year they have the sorry the best chance they have so i i understand why they did cave when they caved um it's just it's just a sit- shitty situation all around yep um all i right. don't have anything don't, else yeah i don't have anything else uh who do you think is the next rfa to sign ooh um i think maybe maybe rantanen yeah. I don't. I don't. I kind of don't know why that one isn't done. Honestly, like they don't really have. I, I think it, like they're just doing some serious planning for the future. The Avs, and like they need to fit him in long term. Like they can afford to pay him whatever now, but it's sort of like what his number is going to be a few years from now when they have some of these young guys coming off their entry levels, and Nate McKinnon's going to need a new deal at some point too. And speaking so, of, sorry. So, oh no, sorry. I thought you were done. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that was, that's it. Pretty much. Like. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised this one isn't done yet, though, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. And and I just wanted to say, with the Avalanche, that Samuel Girard contract they signed for, f- I think it was five years. Was it five years? Five years? Uh, six years. Uh, no, seven years. Seven years at five Seven years. No. That's the type yeah. of thing that, like, that is what I love. Like, everyone loves that. But, I mean, 21 years old, you you recognize the potential, just do it, like, that's what Toronto needs to do with Travis Dermott. That's what teams should yep. be doing with their young players. Um, sorry, that's off topic. But yeah, I agree about Randon. And the point one is super weird. Uh, it, it Wasn't it rumored like all summer that he was going to be the easiest one to sign? And like he wasn't yeah. even bothering looking around because he was just going to sign in Tampa. But then they've yeah, sort of weird. just like they, they signed Shattenkirk. They've made a few other moves. And now they've only got eight, eight and a half million left this year in cap space. It's just it's a it's weird. I don't know. I thought he was gonna be the first one off the board, but he's still sitting there for whatever reason. 
One more interesting point on some of these young defensemen that signed as well. I read a thing pretty recently where it's sort of, you know, part of the reason they assumed why why the Wierenski and McAvoy and Provorov deals took so long was that there weren't really any great comparables for those guys, I guess, because of this new wave of the RFAs. The defensemen in particular, there wasn't really, you had to go back like several years to see like the last RFA deal and like those contracts like seth jones for example like they kind of just got thrown out the window because they were like several years ago right Mm -hmm. but i thought there's an interesting point that i forget i think it was pierre lebrun made that now these guys are the benchmark so now moving forward for next year you've got guys like mikhail sergachev and thomas shabbat whose deals will essentially be compared to warensky and mcavoy and provorov moving forward so i thought that was interesting thing now to think of moving forward with these RFAs is what kind of precedent the guys who signed this season are setting for the guys coming up next year and the year after that because there's going to be a bunch more good players coming up soon as well right specifically on bridge deals though I mean if 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 the Sens want to sign Thomas Shabbat to a seven-year eight-year deal sure yeah they're going to be paying they should they uh, absolutely they should yeah (laughs) but they they won't I'd no, be shocked if thing, yeah. Eugene's got nine hundred thousand. Eugene was trying to he was trying to make some more money to to sign another uh, Tyler Ennis, and now he's out nine hundred thousand dollars. So he has to actually get yeah. rid of Tyler Ennis, return him to the Leafs. That story <laughs> that story was hilarious, by the way. Uh, that for, was sad. That for, was almost just sad to read. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't Him. know, Eugene Melnick lost nine hundred thousand. Didn't lose. He owes a. Is it is it that he owes a casino? Yes. Yeah. Owes a casino nine hundred thousand um, dollars in gambling debt. So that he that he put down in one bet. This was the funny the funny funny part of the story to me was that he bet it on in roulette on evens, and the roulette like the table rolled a zero, double zero. <laughs> so they like dragged him out of the place, and he was like arguing that zero is an even number. <laughs> And that's why it was like he demanded his money because zero is an even number. Is are you? Is that a real thing that actually happened? Apparently that's fake. I don't know. Someone said <laughs> so. Apparently that was fake. I don't know. I don't know if any of this stuff of him gambling the money away is real, honestly. But it's 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 kind of shocking that like you read that and you're like, oh yeah, like yeah. I could see Eugene Melnick doing that. Like that, that this seems legit. It was like that uh Kawhi Leonard Apple Apple Time uh story that came out a few months ago. You remember that <laughs> yeah, one? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, yeah I could see him doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. Eugene, I hope he never sells the team, honestly. He's just too much. He's so entertaining. I love him. Yes. Great radio fodder. Um yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it for me. I don't know. Do you have anything else you wanted to say or plug or anything? No, that's it. Although I think we have potentially a new sponsor coming up that we can tell people about at some point soon. A new, well, new, newish, I guess. Newish, new I old. Guess. It's like reconnecting with an ex. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, an exciting announcement for us coming up. Uh, hopefully, we can help you guys out in the process with it. But uh, yeah. Uh, we will be doing, um, I don't know if it's going to be four separate episodes of division previews or two episodes of two division previews each, but we will be getting to that before the season starts. And uh, then we're ready to go, finally. It seems like it's, summer went by so quick. I'm ready to get back into things here. Yeah, me too. Pretty excited for the season. We've got some uh, exhibition hockey on tonight. I didn't really watch uh, 
the Habs preseason because I feel like it's just a money grab. But <laughs> I'll be looking at the highlights, and I saw some some nice goals. It's it's exciting to see hockey. So make sure you watch Sportsnet only. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Uh, all right, that does it for us. You can find us on Twitter at Two Goons Pod. Uh, you can follow me at E underscore Pressament. Thank you for listening. Go Leafs go. And we'll be back with an announcement soon. Thank you.